Hello and welcome to It's No Secret. I'm Kat. And I'm Christine. And today on the podcast, we are answering the question of what are the hidden costs of investing? Now, if you're an investor, which you probably are if you're listening to the show, um, you would be aware that there are fees to invest. And if there aren't on whatever service you're using, they're probably hidden. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, What an intro. I know. (laughs) But it's the truth. So we're not going to dive so much into, I guess, the more explicit costs when it comes to investing because we have talked about this before, but we're just going to run through them and then we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty around the actual hidden costs, the costs that may be harder to find or equally harder to understand, which is why they're sometimes hidden. Um, So (laughs) the costs that you probably know about are things like transaction costs, i.e. brokerage, if you're using a uh, platform to access investments like shares or ETFs, fund management fees that you're paying for investments or your KiwiSaver funds um, or equally on exchange traded funds and then also platform fees. So the structure that some platforms like Kernel have now where you have kind of a fixed monthly cost or a member fee in order to access that platform and then less transaction fees every time you do a particular action. So they're kind of the headline ones that we've talked a lot about before. Mm-hmm. But what are the hidden costs and why should we care? Dun, dun, dun. Christine. <laughs> I'll give the headline and you can do okay, the, talk, the talking. Let's do the talking. So um, there are inefficiencies and extra costs to transact. So we just mentioned tra- transaction costs, but the cost of doing that over time and includes um, some other things like foreign exchange fees and, um, yeah. as we said, so. but there's also buy and sell spreads and other things, which I'm going to pass the baton back to you because Perfect. you're going to explain it way better. Cool, cool. <laughs> so when you think about transaction costs and potentially hidden costs involved with transactions, what you need to think about is what is the investment that I am buying and what types of fees could be involved in accessing that investment? So am I paying a brokerage fee every time I buy a share? Is that share based in a New Zealand denominated currency or is it in another currency like US dollars? If it's in another currency, am I paying foreign exchange? Yes, you are. Because FYI, you can't go and buy shares in Apple on the New York Stock Exchange and give them New Zealand dollars. They'll be like, go away, small investor. Um, so that's, you know, that is a, is a fee. Um, am I also subject to a buy-sell spread? This one is a little bit harder to explain yeah, um, because <laughs> yeah, buy-sell spreads are – buy-sell spreads, the easiest way to think about this, buy-sell spreads are applicable on typically not all but some um, exchange-traded funds and also managed funds. And it's basically the passing on to the end investor the cost of brokerage for the fund. So in the same way that if you are directly buying an Apple stock and you need to pay brokerage to go and buy that stock, the fund, if you're investing through a fund, i.e. Kernel in the Globe 100, when Kernel Ops team go to buy Apple, guess what? They also have to pay brokerage. Like just because Mm. we're a fund doesn't mean we get to buy it for free. Um, And so the buy-sell spread is essentially the passing on of that cost at a fund level. Mm -hmm. So what it means is the price that you buy units in that fund is slightly different to the price that you sell units in the fund. And the difference is the amount that the fund is pocketing in order to cover their underlying costs. Yeah, right. So they're not necessarily making money from you on the buy-sell spread, although some buy-sell spreads are kind of daylight robbery um, when you know how much 
brokerage costs for a very large fund. And if you think about it as well, right, like you would expect at a fund level, the more money that fund manager manages and the more that they are frequently buying, the more power they have to negotiate things like transaction costs and brokerage. So, you know, for a fund to start up, it might be reasonable that whilst they're still quite small, they need to charge a buy-sell spread because it's proportionately quite a high cost for them. But as money enters that fund and they're buying more and more and selling more and more as people come in and out, then that fee should be, you know, potentially becoming less and less and less. And that doesn't necessarily happen. So understanding Mm. what the buy-sell spread is is important, particularly because – Sometimes the headline management fee can look really attractive and then the buy-sell spread is basically the same as the headline management fee and perhaps the total cost is a fair bit higher than you realise. Yeah, cool. I have two questions. Yeah. First one is buy-sell spreads, are they is that applicable to both ETFs and exchange traded funds and index funds or is it like more prominent? Um, it can it be applicable to both of them, yes. Um, I would say it is potentially higher traditionally in unlisted funds, i.e. index funds. Um, But yes, you would encounter them across both. Cool. Okay. And then going back one step to the foreign exchange and kind of merging with the buy-sell spreads, what Mm -hmm. about hedged funds? So with buying contracts and things like that, and is that cost passed on to the investor or who absorbs that cost? Yeah, sure. So that's definitely another, I guess, hidden cost um, and something to look in the funds documents or information to see if the cost of hedging is included in like the headline management fee that you're paying or is it an additional cost on charged. Um, What that basically that fee is for is removing any of the foreign exchange risk from your investments, um, which some people are keen to do. So it just means that let's say you're buying a fund that invests solely on the New York Stock Exchange, but you don't want the movement of the US dollar and the New Zealand dollar to impact the value of your investments. Therefore, you're doing what's called currency hedging to remove that impact. Um, There is a cost, as you can imagine, associated for the fund to offer that service because they are having to buy and sell foreign Exchange rate contracts, various different things, manage that themselves. But, yes, it can get complicated fast. And so it can. Well, yes and no, because my gut feeling is that the vast majority of hedge funds just incorporate that cost into the management fee. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you're probably a little bit unaware as to what the true cost of that is Mm. um, to you as an investor. But that's why, you know, you can't compare, say, a hedge fund with its unhedged version Mm. because potentially there is quite a, like, fee difference and that'll be the cost of the hedging but you're taking on that additional cost knowing that you're going to be protected from currency movements so it's all a trade-off right you want the benefit there's going to be a cost involved yeah cool love it yeah not to derail but no it's totally fine (laughs) totally fine so we've talked about spreads we've talked about foreign exchange um the other one that we love talking about at kernel and people get really (laughs) confused with is cash drag (sighs) It's really fun. So, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> let, great question. Let, let's start at this. So, this is very oh well. This is only applicable to indexed related investments. So, ETFs or index funds that follow an index or a passive um, model. Mm-hmm. Now, 
As many people may be aware or remember, an index is only a theoretical structure. So an index says, hey, Christine, there's 50 companies in the NZX50 index. Um, This is why they're included in this index. This is the list of them from one through to 50. And it basically sets the rules as to why those companies are in that index. Now, it's just 50 companies. It's not 50 companies plus a cash account. But... In order to run a fund that replicates the NZX50 index, a fund manager has to have a cash account because you as an investor are sending that fund manager money to therefore invest on your behalf. Mm -hmm. And so they are always going to have some money sitting in a cash account. Now, the impact of that cash account on the fund and the fund holdings causes what's called cash drag. And what this means is That fund manager is trying to replicate the exact performance of the index. And let's say they're able to do this perfectly. So, you know, they're able to buy and sell the, you know, exact holdings in the top 50 index perfectly. They do amazing rebalancing. Their replication is exceptional. They do everything that they can. They can't get rid of this cash account, right? And so the cash drag is the effect that the cash account has on their ability to track the performance of the index. Why do you care about that? Because if you're a diehard passive investor like we are, you want the market rate of return. You want the index return. And if someone is promising you the index rate of return, but then they're not caring at all about their cash drag, you might not be getting that index or market rate of return. And that's what you actually really care for. Mm. So This is just something to know um, if you are looking at, say, how your index fund or your ETF has performed against its benchmark or against the index. And you're like, I don't understand why these are so different. It could be because of, well, it will be because of fees. It will also be because of things like cash drag. And if the performance is vastly different and, you know, not going to call out anyone, but I have seen some numbers where they are vastly different. You might want to be asking them the question Mm. as to if, well, what the impact of their cash drag is on their overall performance. And is this something that you can expect them to continue with? Or was this like a one-off bad year? Did they just bugger something up (laughs) in that month? Like what's going on? Does um, cash drag feed into bad tracking? Like Yes. Yes. So tracking, when you talk about like bad tracking, you would say bad tracking is the fund manager's inability to deliver on that market performance that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. So cash drag absolutely feeds into bad tracking, i.e. if they're not managing the cash flows into the fund appropriately or well, um, that will factor into how well they can track the index. And is that quote unquote tracking difference or tracking error? What's the difference? Oh, I'm not going to answer that now. Okay, okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's very. <'Cause> I was, <laughs> I'm trying to get at like, are there ele- other elements within bad tracking that isn't just cash drag that could there be? There definitely a, a cost? is. Yeah. So, I mean, the main other element is uh, what we ju- I just said before of how well has that manager replicated the holdings in the index, right? And that is relevant for things like, um, you know, when you're talking about an index that potentially has 500 companies in it and you're having cash flows into that fund on a regular basis, um, that money has to be split across those 500 companies. Now, 
it may not always be possible to buy all of those 500 companies, depending on how your cash flow in and out of that fund is going at that point in time. And Mm. so that's why people kind of think incorrectly that like managing an index fund is really easily and there's absolutely no decisions that need to be made. But there are at an ops level, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made to ensure that you're delivering as close a replication of the index holdings in the fund for an investor so that you can get that index return. Yeah, cool. And that's to the point of to, like this is why I didn't want to get into replication versus <laughs> error, but the, it's to the level and like preciseness of the fund manager. Let's say they're buying Apple. They need to buy the Apple stock as close to the closing market price on the day that they want to buy it as possible because the index sets the price of that company for that day, which is what the performance is based off at market close. Now, we can't necessarily get the exact market close price. So as a fund manager, you need to have trading strategies that enable you to get as close as possible to the market close price. Yeah, cool. Love it. Great. Thank you. Yeah. That's why robots don't have our ops teams jobs yet because it's (laughs) actually not that easy. (laughs) Yes. And the next um, cost would be unfavorable tax structure for dividends. Yes. So this, again, plays into cash drag. So if you think about um, cash coming into the fund, like I just talked about, it's obviously coming in from new investment into the fund. Mm -hmm. The other way that cash can come into a fund is from the underlying companies paying dividends, which everyone's like, yeah, yippee, company pay me money. This is fun until it starts to drag on your overall fund performance because the index doesn't have cash. So this is why we bang on a lot about the fact that ETFs as a structure, so exchange traded funds in New Zealand as a structure have a different requirement as to how they can treat cash and cash from dividends to unlisted funds. Um, So an ability for an ETF fund manager, just going to call them out because they're the main one, smart shares, to meet the market return is always going to be harder than that of an unlisted fund because of how they're forced as a structure to treat tax from dividends. And how is that? Basically, they can't invest it when it's received. Yeah. Okay. So they have to hold it. They have to hold it. They have requirements around how and when they have to hold it. And if you think about that, the more a fund manager has to hold cash in a fund, the less likely they are to meet the exact market index return. Yeah. Cool. And what about for kids? Um, or those on oh, lower tax rates? Good little, yeah, good, good question. So again, one of the, I guess, kind of hidden costs, you know, there's a lot of well-intentioned parents, myself included, that want to invest for children. Um, one of the great things about kids, and I'm going to get away with saying this maybe, is that they're kind of like a tax haven. Well, they're of benefit for them to invest in their own names because they'll likely be on a lower tax rate. Um, but in order to get that lower tax rate, they need to be investing in a tax, in a structure that allows them to get that tax rate. So this would be in the case of what's called a pie fund or most of the unlisted funds, similar for KiwiSaver, they mm-hmm. can ensure that they're taxed at their 10.5% rather than other structures like listed ETFs that are default to being taxed at a higher rate. Which can be quite significant. Significant, yeah. yeah. At the moment, um, the highest pie tax rate is 28%. So they could have tax being withheld for them at 28% rather than being withheld and deducted at 10.5%. And unless that child has other income that they can offset that tax against, they do not get that back as a credit. So yeah. why are you paying tax for no reason? <laughs> <laughs> 
exactly. Love it. Okay, I'm going to jump around. Number yeah. two is the fees in the fine print. So, you know, mm. you would think that what we just said is fine print, but there's yeah. more of it. Yeah. Um, so starting with credit card transaction fees. So Ooh. if you are buying a gift card or something like that, through yes. some investment platforms, they do charge you additional costs, and that is according to the. Balance. I was like, "Why are we talking about credit cards?" But yes, yeah. yes, yeah, I've yeah. totally yeah. Okay, sorry, my head just defaults no, right. to like transfer money from your bank account because then you're not going to be charged fees. But yeah. yes, that is a very good point. There it's are a convenience you know thing as well. lots of platforms and different services offer ways to top up your account. Now they, as a provider, will be charged a fee from someone else to offer that service, and they're probably on charging that fee to you. So that is definitely something to think about because whilst it's it might be inconvenient that you have to wait one or two days for that money to go from your bank account to that provider. Do you really want to pay 2.95% for the privilege of having it there instantaneously? And that's also as a reference point, thinking about how much time maybe you spent looking at the management fees and comparing against yeah. 0.25 yeah. to 0.31. And exactly. then like, is that difference really going to matter if you're transferring money exactly. at 2.9%? Like that exactly. is, yeah. Yeah. So that's another one. Great one because I would have forgotten about that one. But that is that is a good one. Yeah. yeah, and similar for gift cards as well, just making sure that, you know, if you are trying to do a well-intentioned thing of gifting someone an investment account, it's done in a way that's not going to be eaten up through any fees. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Love this other fine print one, which is W8 Ben Forms, which people will be like, what is that? So basically, long story short, if you hold direct investments, i.e. shares that are listed in the US, you need to have completed what's called a W8 Ben Form. Um, that's something that actually needs to be done every year and is a requirement under uh, US investing regulations. Um, some platforms understandably charge for them to complete that paperwork on your behalf, because if you think about it, they're probably employing a human to do that and they're paying that human money therefore you pay a fee yes exactly. not much more to it but definitely something to think about in terms of your overall cost to investing and how you access investments exactly next one is transfer fees Love so this. fees when you take money out of a platform yeah which interestingly a lot of platforms don't charge you when you bring it into their platform so i have in bold here not in the investment's favor in the business's favor so yes <laughs> Just be mindful of, you know, it is important to read the fine print because I think that can hesitate or cause people to hesitate from moving their money to possibly a better option that might actually mm -hmm. be, you know, better management fees or things like that because of these underlying hidden costs where you kind of yep. get stuck tied to one provider. I have an ex well. a perfect example of this. So this can often catch people out when they're paying brokerage on the other end because a lot of people focus on brokerage when you are starting your investment account and perhaps, you know, you're investing smaller amounts, the brokerage seems really reasonable. However, let's say you manage to successfully do that over a 20-year timeframe and then you get to a point where that money is now relatively large and maybe you want to make some changes. Maybe you don't want to manage 50 stocks anymore. Mm. Maybe you've decided that index investing is the way for you and you've seen the light. Who knows <laughs> what's happened? But when you sell, you also have to pay brokerage on trading platforms, right? Mm -hmm. So the thing to consider there and what I have seen played out is I've had this uh, customer conversation on this before is someone has felt beholden to what I would call a legacy trading platform in New Zealand because the transaction fees to sell out of that investment are so high that they just can't stomach it. It was in the realm of it was going to cost them $6,500 to transfer mm. that investment portfolio from their provider to a provider like Colonel. And they really wanted to do that for the sake of just 
making their affairs simpler and for ongoing management. But understandably, they felt quite sick at the prospect of paying six and a half grand. And so then you need to think about like what's the cost of indecision and all that kind of stuff. But Mm. it's, you know, it's a cost to think about. Like it's easy to assess your investment costs on what your behavior is today, but think about like what's your behavior going to be at the end outcome and how might that also play into what's a better long-term decision. Definitely. Love that. Yep. Cool. Next one, account or closure fees as well. So yes. if you are, if your account is closed because of compliance or inappropriate behavior, perhaps you're day trading or buying and selling too often, that kind of thing. Yep. In some cases, the company does have the right to close your account. However, they will and can um, charge you a fee for that. So yep. yeah. just being aware of that. Yeah. Something and of your behavior account. again. Yeah. Exactly. Don't be a dickhead. <laughs> Don't quote us on that. We'll do. Yeah. Um, um, oh, performance fees. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I'm going to let you take this Okay, <laughs> this is fun. So does everyone know what performance fees are? Maybe, maybe not. Now, what we're probably reading from performance fees is I get charged. Oh, I get a fee or something happens good when there's like good performance. No, 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 no. So this is usually exclusively applicable to active managers. It could be an in an ETF structure or in a fund structure. Um, But some active managers will charge performance fees on the fund or the returns of the fund um, when they reach a certain performance threshold. Now, it's really important to A, understand what the fee is, but also understand what the threshold is because often those thresholds are not very high. And what do I mean by that? They will have a written threshold that will be above the benchmark. So their threshold might be something like uh, if the fund returns more than 4% above the benchmark, we charge a performance fee of 25% or 15% on the excess performance. You might be happy with that depending on the structure of the fund and what it's investing in, but you also may be deeply unhappy with that if 4% above the benchmark doesn't seem like a reasonable threshold for that manager to be charging a much, much higher fee on top of your management fee already. So definitely something to look for. You need to go and look at that in the product disclosure statement and the other legal documents. Yep. Fine print. Yep. Dig in. Yep. Yep. Love it. And to round everything out, there is obviously soft kind of costs and that mm. your time. So yes. you just touched on that very quickly. It's the time spent worrying about which stocks to pick. So if you're choosing between investment um, types, but also Thinking about, am I going to be charged this fee later if I'm opting for a platform or a provider that um, charges me transaction costs? Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is definitely one that's easy to undersell, but it is really important. You know, what's the cost of indecision? What's the cost of, um, you know, having to manage it yourself? If Mm. you don't have on your platform or your chosen investment, the ability to do things like auto invest, if you're having Mm. to manage, you know, manual transactions every week and you're kind of forgetting about it and it's not actually getting you towards your goal, Mm. is that actually the right type of investment option for you? Maybe not. Um, You know, what are all of those little things that are, standing in the way of you succeeding in an investment sense and towards your goals that perhaps you could yeah just to have that time better spent elsewhere hanging out on the beach at summer exactly exactly right yeah 
Yes. I think that's a really high, like, important one for kids' accounts, right? Like yep. it's, you know, a lot of people have the really good intention to invest for children and then maybe the mechanics of that is quite challenging. Mm. Um, and so it's like just thinking through, like, what are the platforms to make sure? You know, things like do you even have all of your investments and various parts of your finances with seven different providers? Because that in itself is a big, mental you know, load. mental yeah. load for someone to carry. So thinking through that and I guess just, yeah, the bigger picture. Love it. Great summary. Wonderful. Let's stop Love to hear about any fees from the audience, um, mostly because <laughs> I guess, you know, I would say that there are some providers out there in the New Zealand marketplace that really, really overcharge. Mm. Um, it's quite terrifying. So if you are in an investment option and you haven't done any of the due diligence or just recent research on fees, it's worthwhile to go and check. It should be relatively easy to find. Mm. Um, you know, always good to just kind of sense check and see if you're still comfortable with paying. And then if you're not, look at something else. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. If you want any other information, we'd love to hear from you at It's No Secret NZ on Instagram or it's no secret.co.nz. We will see you next Tuesday. Bye.